Okay, uh, good evening everyone. Our speaker this evening is Oliver Cooley of Oxford University and he's going to talk about, you can read just as well as I can. <laughs> <coughs> okay, well thank you very much. Thank you um, to the Aristotelian Society for the invitation to speak. Um, <coughs> and uh, apologies to anyone who um, had a look at the paper. I'm afraid it's... Um, it feels like two papers bolted together, and I haven't since had time to uh, unbolt them and only give one of them tonight. So what you're going to get is a, a squeeze-down version of both together. Okay, um, and I'll try and uh, just whip through it quite quickly. Um, hopefully things can be clarified in, in questions if, if I've gone too quickly. Okay, so here's an outline of what I plan to do. I'm going to start with some brief remarks um, just motivating the problem and uh, giving some stage setting. Then I'm going to spend some time looking at traditional atheoretic notions of passage, um, and after that, look at uh, what I'm calling non-standard A-theory. Non-standard is a kind of uh, reference to um, some terminology Kit Fine's introduced. Um, really, the purpose of looking at this is to uh, pave the way to discuss a view of passage that, as a B-theorist, I find uh, more attractive if I were going to try to be an atheist, and that's a view of passage that uh, incorporates the open future. And then finally, we're going to see whether that can generalize to relativity. Okay, so motivation. Here's the question that I'm basically interested in, in answering. Is there a viable metaphysics of time that has two properties? First of all, is it properly relativistic? I'll uh, explain what that means very very shortly and also does it include the objective passage of time so let me say what that is um, the passage of time is a notoriously elusive thing um, but there is a fairly mundane um, there's something fairly mundane which almost everyone associates with it both critics of passage and fans of it and this is and that's the following so here's a quote from John Norton he says, passage is the mundane fact known to us all that future events will become present and then drift off into the past. And he stresses uh, that this fact is an objective fact. Time really passes. Um, it's a fact about the way time truly is objectively. It would obtain independently of us. So passage in this sense of events drifting off into the past is not a mind-independent perspectival phenomenon. Okay. And I think the following is true and important in terms of motivating the project. Pre-theoretically, I claim, uh, we are inclined to think that time passes objectively in just this sense. We are inclined to think that the drifting off of events into the past is something about the way the world is, independently of our um, perspective on it. Okay, and there's a conflict between that view of passage and relativity. Relativity, many think, implies something like the B-theory, and if the B-theory is true, there's no objective passage. So, what do I mean by the B-theory? Consider the following question. Is an exhaustive catalogue of which events occur, i.e. tensity occur, um, and how they are temporally related, a complete account of temporal reality? So, suppose you give a description from no temporal point of view about what occurs and what temporal relations it stands in. Does that capture all there is to say about time? The B-theorist says yes. And two things follow from that. Uh, first, all times are on a par, at least in terms of their status as times, and tense is reducible. You don't need to uh, invoke tense to give a metaphysically adequate account of reality. Okay, so given this set of entailments, it seems that you have four options. You can reject the first premise, uh, which I'm not going to do. Um, you could accept both entailments. This is the view I actually like. Um, but this means, given the apparent passage claim, that you have to give some kind of substantive story about why it seems to us that time really passes. And I think there's some very interesting, fairly recent work on this by uh, people like Janan Ishmael and Craig Callender. But I don't think that a properly adequate story has yet been given, which sort of still motivates the, uh, the interest in trying to do something non-B-theoretic. Um, there is this other option. You could deny the second entailment and say, yes, I'm a B-theorist, but time really passes. I think this is the least interesting option. 
it fails to engage with this uh, sense we have that time really passes because people who say this typically say things like, uh, the passage of time is one event occurring after another. Now, of course, no sensible bee theorist ever denied that one event occurs after another, but one event occurring after another isn't enough to uh, give us a sense of passage in the, in the sense described to begin with. So finally, there's um, uh, rejecting the first interment, say that you can uphold relativity and yet not be a B-theorist. And here there are two options. The most popular one by far is to uh, cleave to a kind of non-relativistic notion of passage uh, involving a privileged present and say that that's somehow compatible with relativity. But what I'm interested in is whether you could do something uh, uh, different, which is to provide a genuine A-theory that does without a privileged present. Okay. So here's the plan of attack. Um, so I'm going to spend some time talking about non-relativistic A-theories, and the, and the whole point of that is to see whether we can generalize those to, uh, to the relativistic context. And one thing that I think it's quite useful to have in, a, a distinction it's quite useful to make is between um, something like formal models and how they're to be interpreted by the A-theorist who puts them forward. Um, I say formal models, what I'm going to give you is sort of sketchy pictures. But I do believe that these sketchy pictures correspond to uh, sort of abstract structures that you could um, define rigorously. Um, and then given those structures, there's a further story to be told about uh, how they uh, are representative of a, how they represent the metaphysics of time. Okay, so on the pre-relativistic side, as I said, we're going to look at standard A theories. I will, I think there's only time to look at presentism and the moving spotlight. We'll skip the growing block, but if people want to talk about the growing block later, we can. Then I'll say something about this non-standard alternative, um, something about the open future, and then we'll move on to the relativistic generalization again, just looking at uh, the moving spotlight and um, the open whether you can generalize the open future view to relativity. Okay. Yeah, so I said by models I mean something like uh, rigorously specified formal abstract structures, um, but I'm only going to give you diagrams. So here's the familiar B-theory block universe view. Um, all times are represented on a par. Here's my world line, that little cross corresponds to right here, right now. And here is the kind of thing you're going to see uh, offered by the A-theorist. So uh, it looks like the thing above, but added to it is this privileged present. And the arrow indicates the direction in which it's moving. But of course it's moving, so the one on the left you know, isn't a stopping point you need to update and update. But exactly what that involves, we'll, we'll see in a minute. OK. So now on to, uh, now on to standard A-theories. Is that my... The passage of time at least involves the following. Future events becoming present and then drifting off into the past, and this is meant to be a fact about how reality truly is. Here's how presentism vindicates that idea. So what is presentism? So um, the way I'm understanding presentism, presentism is the claim that absolute truth, truth simpliciter, is tensed. Now does, that mean, does this mean that only the present time exists? So Informally, that's often the way presentism is characterized. In a sense, it does. So the presentist thinks that reality, concrete reality, is spatially extended, is three-dimensional, and it's not extended in any other dimension, and that's all there concretely is. How it is, simpliciter, exhaustively characterized... Well, uh, so the truth simpliciter exhaustively characterizes this concrete reality, and this truth simpliciter includes how it presently is, how it was, and how it will be. The presentist can face problems about exactly what they mean by how it was and how it will be. I'm not going to address those at all. Um, okay, so that's presentism. What about passage on, uh, according to the presentist? So here's Pryor's view. Consider the event of my falling off a punt. Right, so if time is to be passing, this event should forever be moving into the past. So my falling off a punt occurred 10 years ago, say, uh, but as time passes, there will come a time when it was 11 years ago. 
right? It will then be a further year in the past. Now, these are the kind of tense facts that the presentist endorses. It was the case 10 years ago that I fall off a punt. It will be the case in one year that it was the case 11 years ago that I fall off a punt, right? These tense facts are straightforwardly something that we're given if we're buying into the general presentist picture, but they exactly correspond to events moving into the past. So the claim is presentism includes the passage of time. Okay. Kit Fine has an objection to, to this seemingly easy way of vindicating passage according to, to presentism. So here's what he says. The passage of time requires that moments of time be successively present, and this appears to require more than the presentness of a single moment of time. The presentness at this point, the, the presentness at this point might appeal to the fact that any particular future time will be present, and that any part, particular past time was present. However, the future presentness of T plus amounts to no more than T being present and T plus being later than T. We naturally read more into the presentist tense logical pronouncements than they actually convey, but his conception of temporal reality, once it is seen for what it is, is as static and block-like as the B theorists. The only difference lying in the fact that his block has a privileged center. Okay, so there's the, the B theorist block, and there's the presentist picture. And you know, just thinking in these pictorial terms, it does seem you know, that that looks as static and block-like as uh, the presentist, as, as the B theorist view. It seems that we need to you know, keep updating it to get the, the flow of time. But what I was claiming earlier is the updating is already included in the diagram at the top. Okay, so the presentist holds that the fundamental facts are a collection of tense facts. That's just to review what I've already said. Now these facts are meant to include facts about ordinary change. I'm now standing, but I was not so long ago sitting. Right? If you think that the presentist captures ordinary things changing, then you should also accept that they capture the facts changing. And if they capture the facts changing, then surely that is to capture the passage of time, at least as we, we defined it earlier. Okay, so ordinary concrete things change given that there are these combinations of tense facts, but so do the facts. Um, and if tense facts adequately capture the first kind of change, then why should one think that they fail to capture the second? So here's uh, uh, an excerpt from that quote from Fine again. The passage of time requires that the moments of time be successively present, and this appears to require more than the presentness of a single moment. Basically, what I'm claiming is, uh, if you think about what the tense facts as of now are, they already capture the fact that the present, that different moments of time are, success, uh, are successively present. One simply cannot accept all the present tense truths without accepting that what is true undergoes genuine change. Okay, so that is passage according to the presentist. Um, and what we will see is that a certain kind of uh, non-presentist A theory relies on exactly that kind of change and that kind of notion of passage. Uh, so part of the point of reviewing that, um, reviewing presentism is that exactly the same mechanism is underwriting passage in these other views, including the book the grand block view, although I'm not going to um, spend time discussing that. Okay, so the moving spotlight. Um, here's a characterization of this view given by Brad Scow in a paper that's um, looking at the generalization of the moving spotlight to, to relativity. So he characterizes it as the combination of two things, eternalism, the view that all times, including past and future times, exist, uh, that combined with objective becoming, an objective becoming is, again, uh, a combination of two things. The first is that there is a non-relative fact about which time is now, and that this fact keeps changing. And he suggests that we can understand what it is for this fact to keep changing in terms of uh, what's officially just a metaphor. Right? So we can think that there's this extra dimension super time, and what this picture shows is that Relative to one point in supertime, uh, this 
part of space-time, this slice through space-time is the present, relative to a quote-unquote later point in supertime, a later time is present. Um, so on this supertime metaphor, that's what the movement of the now involves. Okay, so uh, from the perspective of each point in supertime, just one time is now, but from different perspectives, different times are now. That's the quote from Scal. But that is just a metaphor. And here is the official story that he gives, in this paper at least. In more recent work, I should say, he um, seems to be moving to a view which corresponds to the, what I'm calling the non-standard view. So um, suppose it is now time t. The now moves from past to future. What that claim comes to is that it was the case that a time before t was now. And it will be the case that a time t after, uh, that a time after t will be now, right? And we are to understand these tense claims in exactly the way the presentist understood them. So the way um, the presentist accounted for genuine change, including change in what the facts are, that's exactly how Scal is accounting for the change in which time is now. Um, and that has some interesting consequences for um, the attractiveness of this uh, moving spotlight view. Okay, so when we were looking at presentism, what we saw was actually only one of these uh, diagrams corresponded to the presentist position. Um, the diagram captured everything that is, was, and will be true, right? That's not how the moving spotlight um, advocate thinks of this kind of diagram. According to them, one of these corresponds to how things are, right? And the other elements in the sequence are crucial. They're the things that tell us how things were and how things will be, right? So whereas for the presentist, this region of the block uh, corresponds to how things were, that's not true for the moving spotlight. That's how past times are in the tense sense of are. Uh, this is how the whole block of all these existing times were. Okay, so here we see a difference in terms of the model between presentism and the moving spotlight view. The moving spotlight view needs all of these. Um, these blocks correspond to different perspectives in supertime, whereas for the presentist, uh, these, just a single block is, is um, all they need. Okay. And I said that has some interesting consequences for how attractive the view is. So um, here's something that might be initially surprising about, um, well, the, the Scout says something that might initially be surprising about uh, how tense relates to time and super time. So consider the claim, it will be the case that T prime is now. It was in terms of claims like this that we cashed out the movement of the now. He claims this does not mean the same as the claim that, and is not true just in case that, at a time t, at a time later than this utterance, t prime is now. Now this might be surprising because you know people familiar with um, cashing out um, tenses um, in terms of well, people familiar with the standard way of doing tense logic in terms of models involving different times might think that's exactly what we do mean by will. Um, but no, um, here's what. Here's the analogous thing you should say. On the pretense that there is supertime, it will be the case that t prime is now. It's analyzed as at a later point in supertime, t prime is now. Um, and I think Scale's exactly right to set things up in this way. Um, and what this shows you is that according to the, the believer in the moving spotlight, ordinary times persist in the, in the presentist sense of persist. I mean, what you've got going on here is two senses of persistence. So. This is how things are absolutely. There are some things which might be multi-located in the block. They're extended in the temporal direction of the block. That's B-theory persistence. But there's also this kind of uh, tense, uh, primitive tense persistence, things that are a certain way here, and a certain way here, and a certain way uh, in, in the next element of the block. Um, and when you think about it, this presents a sort of interesting dilemma about how you should ordinary how you should analyze ordinary tense talk. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about that. Now, the B theorist is often accused of spatializing time. 
This picture is the one that spatializes time in the following sense. According to an ordinary way of thinking, space persists through time. What we have here are times persisting, ordinary times persisting through supertime, which just is, uh, supertime is what time is to the presentist. Okay, uh, let me move on. That's all I want to say about um, the moving spotlight view. The growing block view corresponds to this kind of picture. Many of the things that I said were problematic about the moving spotlight view uh, are problematic about the growing block. And the way, the natural way of understanding the growth of the block is exactly analogous to the way we understood the movement of the moving spotlight on the moving spotlight view. Okay, so no more about growing blocks. Okay, so that's um, my brief summary of traditional A theory. Now let me move on to non-standard A theory. Okay, so key thing here is a distinction between absolute versus relative facts. So according to the B-theorist, there are a bunch of facts about how reality is absolutely speaking. The tenseless facts that are true from no point of view. But there are also certain relative facts. Um, so I am standing at some time, right? That's a, an absolute fact, uh, save for the use of the indexical I. T prime is five minutes after T. That again is an absolute fact. But there are also relative facts. Relative to T prime, I was standing five minutes ago. But the B theorist understands that relative fact in terms of the first two absolute facts. So they have absolute and relative facts, but the relative facts are reduced to and understood in terms of the absolute facts. Um, the standard A theory also has absolute facts. right? What the B theorist thought of as uh, facts that hold relative to a time and are understood in terms of tenseless absolute facts, the traditional A theorist understands as absolute facts. So I was, standing, I was sitting five minutes ago, that's just a rock-bottom absolute fact. It's not a fact that only holds relative to this time, it's how things are, full stop. It's just that how things are change. The non-standard A theory says something similar to the B theorist about this fact. It's only true relative to T prime that I was standing five minutes ago. Um, but they, unlike the B theorists, deny that there's some absolute tenseless uh, perspective on reality in terms of which these relative facts can be understood. These relative facts are rock bottom for this non-standard view. So on this view, there's a sense in which all times are on a par, unlike the non-standard view, but these uh, relative facts are not reducible to absolute facts. Okay, so what, so, and, and for each of the three views we looked at, the presentist view, the growing block view, and the moving spotlight view, you can consider a non-standard view which takes what those traditional, uh, the type of fact that the traditional view takes as absolute facts are now taken to be uh, relative to a temporal perspective in a way that's not reducible to a tenseless point of view. Um, so here's, here's what Kit Fine says about this kind of view. Um, the two for, so he, he has a distinction between uh, different forms of, of this kind of view, which I uh, haven't got anything to say about on these slides. The two forms of non-standard realism are not subject to these difficulties, i.e. the difficulties he thinks plagues presentism, since they do not single out any one time as the present. Presentness is not frozen on a particular moment of time, and light and... That, that looks like I've miscopied, and, and the light it sheds is spread out equitably throughout all time. Um, although he goes on to say, of course, this feature by itself does not account for the passage of time, and I don't think he actually says uh, much more about how you do account for the passage of time. Um, so what can we say about the passage of time on these views? Well, one thing we can say, if the, non -stand if the standard A theories uh, captured um, the passage of time in terms of their absolute facts. Those facts are still true and not to be understood in terms of tenseless facts, but now only relative to a time. So it seems that if time was passing absolutely, according to the previous view, then it's still true that relative to any time, I can truly say time is passing. But you might think one can say something else, right? So we can consider um, ever later temporal perspectives. And as one considers ever later temporal perspectives, for example, if you're the uh, non-standard moving spotlighter, 
ever later times are present. The trouble with that is that um, what kind of fact is it that from ever later temporal perspectives, ever later times are present? This um, non-standard view has disavowed um, absolute facts. But this doesn't look like it's a kind of fact that um, is true as of some temporal perspective. Maybe it's true from every temporal perspective. Um, I need to think about that more. OK. So um, how are we doing for time? Have I coming up to half an hour? Coming up to it, yes. Yes, OK. OK, so now um, I don't like any of these views, really. I think of all of them, present is Presentism is the nicest one. Um, so let me say something about a view I do quite like. Um, so I said that um, it's kind of commonly accepted that if there is passage, then what it involves is this objective becoming ever more past of events. But that misses out something that you might think is very naturally associated with the objective passage of time. And that's the following. So here's a quote from um, George Ellis, uh, uh, cosmologist who advocates a kind of growing block view. Things could have been different, but second by second, one specific evolutionary history out of all the possibilities is chosen, takes place, and gets cast in stone. And I think this is, I mean, this is also um, quite a, a familiar idea. And it has two components. So first of all, there's the idea that relative to any time, there are many possible futures. So it's a view that incorporates the open future. Um, and this naturally brings, us, um, brings in branching time models. But also, we have this idea that as time passes, one and only one of these is chosen. Of the various possibilities that hold as of a time, as time passes, only one of them gets, uh, gets to happen. OK. So. <clears throat> Let me say some things about the open future and the way it should be understood on this view. So here's uh, some definitions from a, a paper by Nicholas Maxwell, who was worried about the compatibility of this kind of open future view with relativity. He distinguished what he called predictive probabilism. So he says, the future like the past is now in reality entirely fixed and determined. I think he should be saying determinate uh, in a sort of fairly useful um, bit of jargon that, that various people have used, even though the basic laws are probabilistic and not deterministic. So here's the kind of picture, right? The actual world has a unique future history. So the little black line corresponds to the now. Um, but here's another non-actual possible world consistent with the laws that is a duplicate of the actual world up to, the say, up to that time, but has a different history. So the laws and the past up to this time don't fix the future. The future's not determined. But nonetheless, there are facts about what the future is like. So there's predictive probabilism, and he contrasts it with ontological probabilism. The basic laws are probabilistic, and the future is now, in reality, open, with many ontologically real alternative possibilities. And lots of people say things like this. The idea is that, um, as of now, there is a range of possibilities, and they're all equally real. They're all genuine possibilities. So the idea is that, you know, given that this is the actual world, this future is somehow not really a possibility for the actual world. It's the way the world might have been consistent with the laws and the past, but it's not the way it will be. OK, so this naturally brings us to this branching time picture. Um, OK. Now, of course, there are B-theory ways of uh, interpreting both of these uh, views, and in particular, a B-theory interpretation of something like the thing on the right corresponds to what you might call a block multiverse, the kind of thing that is familiar from discussions of Everettian quantum mechanics. Um, and branching time uh, views come in for a lot of stick from people who don't work on them. Um, and it seems to me that a lot of those criticisms seems to, seem to presuppose something like a B-theory interpretation of the model. Um, so let me just, so this is this determined versus determinate distinction. Um, on the single history picture, we say the future is determinate, even though it's not determined by the laws. Now, on the block multiverse picture, it's controversial whether we should say, as of some time in the branching block, 
the future's indeterminate. But even if you're someone who thinks you can say that, and lots of people think um, that's the wrong thing to say if you, if you lived in such a branching world, um, the, indeterminate, the indeterminateness that there is is reducible to non-relative determinate facts about how reality is from no point of view. What we want for an A-theory view is uh, to give up that B-theory uh, absolute view from nowhere. Okay, so consider the following combination of claims. There might be a sea battle. So someone who likes this open future view uh, might want to sign up to all of these things. There might be a sea battle tomorrow, but there might not be, right? There being a sea battle and there not being a sea battle are both, in reality, real possibilities as of now. So it's not settled that there will be a sea battle. Now, a further step is that this indeterminateness, this unsettledness is to be cashed out in terms of it's not being true that there will be a sea battle, given that it's not settled that there won't be, uh, and it's not true that there will not be, given that it's not settled that there will be. So neither of these claims, neither of these will claims should be true. But nonetheless, you can say, but it's going to happen one way or the other. It is true that either there will be or there won't be. And you can give semantics in terms of these branching structures that um, underwrite all this, this particular combination of tensed modal claims. OK, and we're going to give an A-theory. OK, so that's this A-theoretic view of the branching future. Don't think of this branching structure as a branching reality. Right? Think of it as a way of encoding these kind of, uh, this kind of combination of tense facts involving truth-value gaps and indeterminateness. Okay. Now, what about the passage of time and things being settled as time passes? So on the left, we've got this branching structure. On the right, we've got a single history of the kind that we, we started out thinking about. And this single history is a single history from the branching structure. And we can use it to give a kind of nested sequence of branching structures. For each moment in that single history, we have um, ever-shrinking branches, ever-shrinking branching structures. And I think a diagram like this very naturally corresponds to uh, a view that you might have of how the future is open, but as time passes, things are settled. Okay, so that red dot is the now, and as time passes, things get settled. Okay, so how do we interpret this model? So the elements of the sequence are shorthand for a collection of tense facts in the way I was suggesting. Here's the thing that corresponds to the standard uh, way of interpreting it, the standard A-theory way of interpreting it. Remember, exactly one of these elements corresponds to the absolute facts. But given that, right, it seems that this picture is misleading, right? Suppose that this represents the absolute facts, right? Then this doesn't correspond to how things will be. It doesn't correspond to what the facts will be. It only corresponds to what the facts might be. I could have drawn the uh, analogous branching structure, which had the red dot going that way. Okay. So is that a problem for this view? Well, I don't think so. Um, and I haven't said why. Um, so the future elements in, the, in this single sequence do not correspond to what the facts will be. But nonetheless, amongst the tense facts are facts that say things will get settled one way or the other. Okay, so the model as I gave it doesn't correspond to this uh, standard presentist uh, combination of passage in the open future. But nonetheless, I think this standard presentist view is a coherent view which does involve passage and the open future being settled as time passes. And there's also the non-standard interpretation. Now we can have this single sequence. Um, each element of the sequence corresponds to the facts that hold relative to some time. And it has the following interesting feature. What will be true relative to some time at some later time need not be what is true present tensedly as of that time. So let's just see that in terms of this picture. So um, as of this time, right, it's not true that there will be a sea battle and it's not true that there will not be a sea battle. But as of the time in question, it is true that there isn't. So the tense facts 
at some later time aren't deducible from the tense facts that hold of some earlier time, but nonetheless they're consistent in the obvious way. So what is true relative to some later time is going to be amongst the things that might be true for that time relative to some earlier time. Okay, so there are these two different ways of thinking about these branching time models. And let's think about how they might generalize to relativity. Okay, so this is this familiar, the thing we had up earlier, uh, suggesting that there was a problem um, reconciling passage and relativity. <laughs> and we're not going to reject relativity, so, and we're also not going to have so-called B-theoretic passage, so we're going to uh, try and reject the first entailment. And there were two ways of doing it, a global now and uh, non-B-theoretic models without a global now. Um, I have some things to say about what I don't like about the global now, but maybe given the time I, I'm going to just skip on to um, the, the positive stuff. Okay, so how are we going to do it without a global now? This is this kind of shorthand for the, the sort of picture we had in the, the non-relativistic case. When we move to relativity, this is you know, the generic thing that we get, no matter what kind of A-theory view we're thinking about. And, and when we do it without a privileged sequence of global nows, we can very easily generalize the formal models. Uh, but now, whereas before we had the model had a kind of sequence of elements that were totally ordered by something corresponding to the earlier than relation, what we have now is a partially ordered set of uh, models that are, uh, and, and the partial order is in some sense um, emergent from the, the fact that in terms of their temporal order, the points of relativistic space-time are only partially ordered. Okay, so in terms of formal models, the generalization has that kind of, um, that kind of shape. Okay. So let me have a quick look at uh, what Brad Scouse says about generalizing the moving spotlight. So he does exactly this kind of thing. So remember, in the non-relativistic case, we had the following uh, situation. If P and Q are points in supertime, and P is R units later in supertime terms than Q, then the time that is now from the perspective of P is R units later than the time that is now from the perspective of Q. And the question is, how can I generalize that kind of uh, constraint on how supertime matches time to the context of Minkowski spacetime? We want to say something of this sort. If P and Q are points in supertime and P is R units later than Q, then some region uh, from the perspective of P, some region of uh, Minkowski spacetime is, has some property, uh, no, sorry, is uh, there's a certain relation to the region that has the special status relative to the perspective of Q. And given the space-time structure of Minkowski space-time, it looks like there are no, there's no natural way of filling in the blanks. Um, so what is Scale's solution? Well, it seems very simple. Replace super-time with super-space-time. And now you can say relative to a point in super-space-time, uh, a particular point in space-time is present, um, but relative to different points in super-space-time, different points of space-time are present. Okay, and now you can say the natural thing in terms of... So we had earlier that the non-relativistic constraint between super-time and time. Here's the um, natural thing for relativity. If P and Q are points in super-space-time that are time-like related, and P is to the future of Q, uh, then the point that is present from perspective of P is time-like related to and to the future of the point that is present from the perspective of Q. This is just one aspect of getting the uh, super-space-time relations to, to match up to the space-time relations in, in the obvious way. Um, and given that you're doing this, it seems that you, you know, if you earlier could say that the now moved because from ever-later perspectives in super-time, ever-later times were present, then it seems you can say the same thing here. Um, as you move from earlier to later points in superspace time, or al along a time-like curve in superspace time, one will see the present moving 
uh, in a time-like uh, direction to ever later uh, points of space-time. Okay. So remember, as Scow presented it, um, there was meant to be an absolute fact. In the non-relativistic case, there was meant to be an absolute fact about which time is now. And, he, and, he, and the official story about what it was for the now to move, what it was for there to be a change in which time is now, was given in primitive tense terms. Right, so what can we say? What, does, what is the official story that the superspace-time metaphor corresponds to? And I feel a bit cheap doing this, given that he's changing his view, but here we go. So this is from his uh, journal philosophy paper. What is the literal truth behind the superspace-time metaphor? I'm not sure I really need to answer this question. I think it may be possible to spell it out in, in terms of primitive tense-like operators that are adapted to the structure of relativistic space-time, but I do not think it is worth going through in detail how it would work because the presentation of the theory using superspace-time is easier to understand. Well, I don't think we can stop there because um, the question isn't what's the most perspicuous uh, way of presenting the theory, it's whether you can even tell some story um, that this is meant to that metaphorically correspond to. Okay, so how might it go? Well, in the classical case, the absolute facts included a fact about which time was the now. So are we meant to suppose that there's an absolute fact about which space-time point is the present? If so, that seems really weird because we're privileging, you know, not just ourselves in the temporal directions, but ourselves in spatial directions as well. So what's so special about us, spatially speaking? And then in the classical case, uh, our current time is absolutely privileged, but we could say that past times were special and future times will be so. So although our time is special, intense, in, in, it's not true that it always will be. We can ameliorate the specialness of our time by pointing out that past times and future times will be special in the same way. But now when we do the same in terms of the privileged space-time point, we end up saying strange things about points now elsewhere. So there are certain points that never will be present. What will happen is that it will be the case that they were present, even though they never were, and never will be, absolutely speaking. Right. So for, the, for that to have some force, you've got to keep in mind that the facts as on some space-time point are meant to be absolute facts. Right, it seems like a really bad view. Clearly, the much more attractive view is the, uh, some, some kind of non-standard version, non-standard interpretation of the models. So I've, I've, over time, so what I'd like to very quickly do is just present the, the, the relativistic version of the, the branching time model and then stop. Okay, so we're gonna go over, go over that. Um, yeah, so I think, I, for a long time, was confused by something that Howard Stein says in response to this paper by Maxwell, where he presents these two notions of the open future that we discussed earlier. And he says that, um, so what he basically says is the following, for an event to have become determinate, it's got, as of some point, it's got to be in the past light cone of that point. And it's, you know, not clear whether he's really offering something that goes beyond the B theory. He, like Maxwell, talks about things being determined rather than determinate some of the time. But here's a quote where it seems that he genuinely is trying to offer something which is distinct from the B theory. He claims, I have argued that special relativity is perfectly compatible with ontological probabilism. So he's deliberately referring to this stronger notion that Maxwell says you can't have in relativity. So how, how might that go? Well, in the classical case, we understood this in terms of branching time models. There's a relativistic generalization of these that was, that's been given by Belknap. And the key move is to swap global instants with point events. Um, and just as um, our classical branching time models had this B-theory interpretation, so do Belknap's branching space-time models. Um, that's not the interpretation we want to give to them. So I just mentioned that to make sure when you think about these things, don't think of them in that way. Um, okay, so what in more detail are branching spacetimes? We have a set of possible events 
and we have a non-trivial partial, partial order on these. And the partial order is to be interpreted as, the relation is to be interpreted as E is in the causal past of E prime, or E prime is in a possible future of E. Um, now, you have to define, given that we can have two events that are incomparable by this relation, uh, even though they are part of the same history, you can't give the simple standard definition of history that you can in the branching time framework, but there's a, a natural way of defining them. So that the key idea is that we think of two events in this big structure as uh, compossible, just in case there's some other event that has both of them in its past. And given that, you can define a history as a sort of maximal collection of compossible events, which is just to say a maximal upward-directed subset of this big set of things ordered by this causal relation. Um, and then we talk about two events being uh, space-like related, just in case they're incomparable by the causal relation, but compatible in this way we've just defined. Um, anyway, so that's basically the picture. We have this big set of events uh, ordered by this causal relation, and we're not going to interpret that B theoretically. Okay, so how are we going to interpret it? Well, given, so I, I should have reproduced this picture, so let me go back to uh, this thing here. We had something like this, right? So think of this now as, as one of Belknap's branching space-time models. Think of this as a history, uh, one of the histories that it includes. We're just going to define the relativistic analogue of this in the context of branching space-time models, and um, you won't be surprised that that gives you a collection of objects which are partially ordered by a natural relation. Um, in fact, if you think of them as collections of histories, sets of subsets of the, the model, then they're going to be partially ordered by the subset relation. And there are two natural ways you could do it. So given our preferred history that we're using to uh, define this collection of subsets, you can consider every single event in that history, and then for each event, you get a particular set of histories, which are all the histories that contain, contain that event. And obviously, as you go further and further up the history, the set of histories containing it becomes smaller and smaller. Um, or we could consider you know, the analog of space-like slices through the history, which is just to say maximal collections of space-like uh, related events. Um, OK. So suppose we've got this partially ordered thing, right, the formal model, how do we interpret it? For the kind of reasons that we came across when we were considering Scow's moving spotlight picture, a standard atheoretic interpretation that picks one of these as representing the absolute facts uh, doesn't look viable. So what about a non-standard uh, interpretation? Um, yeah. So if we try and do that, then what we say of each of these partially ordered elements uh, is that they represent the facts that hold as of uh, the special space-time point in that branching structure. Um, and these facts display a particular pattern of indeterminacy, which is a kind of relativistic generalization of the thing we saw in the relativistic case. So um, in the, in the non-relativistic case, um, something is true here, but it's not true that it will be. Uh, it's not the case that it will be that way relative to this time, but it's true relative to this time than it might be, we have a natural relativistic generalization of that kind of uh, meshing but non-introducibility of the facts that hold as of different space-time points. Um, and uh, it seems to be a genuinely non-B-theoretic view in the following sense. So um, this collection of um, facts that hold relative to space-time points can't be represented by a single branching space-times model, because that leaves out how things get settled as time passes. Um, it can't be represented by the single history that the model implicitly defines, because that single history represents things as determinate as of a time when they're not. And it's not equivalent to a branching space-time model that includes a thin red line. Uh, namely the preferred history that we've used to define our model, because as the thin red line is normally interpreted, that's giving you determinate future will facts when we're saying that there aren't any. Okay, so I say that this is a genuinely non-beard theoretic view that's coherent. 
does it include passage? Well, so this is the last slide. Um, if you consider the event-based model, which is the natural one, if you're trying to think of these uh, branching structures as representing tense facts that hold as of some perspective, then as you go along... So now uh, we've got sort of our ideal completion of the model, the single history, and there are lots of routes from the kind of primordial branching structure through ever smaller sets of histories towards that single history. Um, and they, in the event-based model, correspond to sort of time-like world lines through that final history. And if you follow such a route, the kind of surface of becoming determinate just corresponds to the past light cone of points on that track. Um, that doesn't look like a very physical kind of thing. We want to say that different routes correspond to you know, the same world that involves genuine passage, but it's not clear that you can compare these two tracks and say what it is about them that is the same. You could consider a different kind of model where we have the analog of sort of sequences of hypersurfaces. And now you can consider two different tracks and say, oh, there is something about these two different tracks uh, that is the same. So roughly on these tracks, you get little local bits of becoming. Um, the problem is that uh, although you now have little local bits of becoming along these different tracks, so you can think of these different tracks as different representations of the same genuine unfolding of time in this relativistic world, the elements of the model no longer correspond to, uh, they're not naturally interpreted as how things are as of a perspective because they're how things are as of a global space-like surface and that doesn't naturally in relativity cor correspond to a, it, it, it's not what, it's not the thing that facts should be holding of relative to. Um, okay. And anyway, you know, what, what kind of fact? So we're saying as we trace along these tracks, we see things becoming, you know, things that were unsettled becoming settled. And we can consider the different tracks as somehow giving us different representations of the same process of settling. But what kind of fact is meant to be represented by this uh, sequence of perspectives anyway, given that we were disavowing uh, there being any such absolute facts? Um, so that kind of a, an, an inconclusive point to end on, but, but that's where it finishes. Thank, thank you very much.